RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by GamePrint. We thank them and our patrons for their support of Priority One Podcast. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 424 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live throughout the 2019 Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. And available for download or streaming on Monday, August 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And although... Kat and Anthony were unable to join us for this amazing trip. I had the honor of being supported by Jake Morgan, our producer that works tirelessly behind the scenes at Priority One, along with support from Legacy Tony, who you'll hear throughout these interviews, along with Henry Pomper, our graphic artist, who made us look good in our brand new t-shirts and artwork that we shared with convention attendees. Now, before we move on with the content of this show, we do need to take a moment to thank our patrons, because without their support, none of this would have been possible to help offset the costs of a journey to Star Trek Las Vegas. Additionally, we were thrilled to be supported and partner up with GamePrint, the company that allows you to custom design and then 3D print your own personalized ship from either Star Trek Online or just by visiting their library. We are grateful for their sponsorship and their ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. Don't forget that you can save 20% off of your order by using coupon code PRIORITY20 at checkout over at GamePrint.net. Now, you must be wondering what content you can expect from this episode. For starters, we have the audio recording of the Star Trek Online panel featuring Anthony Rapp, Following the panel, we're joined by the development team behind Star Trek Online to dig a little deeper into the announcement and find out more information that we hadn't already learned on the panel. I'm joined by executive producer Andre Emerson, Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, lead UI and ship artist Thomas Maroney, community manager Mike Fadum, content designer Jesse Heinig, and more. So, Captains, this is going to be a long episode and the first of several from our coverage here at Star Trek Las Vegas. So now, without further ado, let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Thank you so very much for joining us this afternoon. My name is Elio. I am the executive producer of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And I am thrilled to be here with you this afternoon to talk about the next chapter for Star Trek Online. So without further ado, 
Let's bring out some of the development team that leads the game. Up first is lead ship and UI artist, Thomas Maroney. Community manager, Mike Fatum. Senior content designer, Jesse Heinig. Art director, Bill Yates. And lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Eventually. He's, he's, eventually. He's close. He's coming. He has all the other triples, yes, yes. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we first start uh, with you, Mike. Why don't you give us a quick review of what Star Trek Online is and how Star Trek Discovery has been influencing the ongoing story within the game? Sure. The easiest way to explain it is something that Thomas said earlier today that I really enjoyed, uh, which is that... Uh, Star Trek Online is a permanent Star Trek theme park on the internet. Um, it is a place where uh, all of Star Trek is celebrated, and you can create a captain and go on adventures with uh, over 42, I think, of your favorite actors from uh, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Discovery, TNG, the original series. Um, there's so many exciting cast members in here, so many exciting storylines. We've spent the last 10 years building on the threads that Star Trek has left behind and weaving into our own wonderful story, uh, which takes place uh, in 2410. So about 10 years after Picard will be now, somewhere around there-ish. Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. 20, somewhere maybe 20. around there-ish. Um, and for the last year, we've been building an Age of Discovery uh, expansion over time. And so what this is, is it's an uh, expansion that brings together... Um, a tie-in with a live show, which is something we've been able to do for the first time. And so um, instead of doing one giant content update all at once that um, you guys would have to wait forever for, we decided to release a lot of um, smaller high-quality updates that eventually, over the last year, have led up into one discovery experience that you can take from creating a new discovery captain all the way through interacting with characters like uh, Tilly and Captain Killy and... Uh, Gabriel Lorca and Ellen Landry, um, all played by their original actors from Discovery. Um, so, yeah. Now, Bill, over the course of the life of the game, Star Trek Online has always been cinematic. But most recently, you've added a member of the team that has made some phenomenal, phenomenal animations to, make, to take Star Trek Online into just a new, a new era. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the, the cinematic storytelling? Um, well, first, let me mention the guy's name, uh, Wesson Pierce. Right. Uh, big shout out to Wesson. Uh, not in the audience, but uh, but you guys have you guys have definitely seen uh, his handiwork, uh, as well as our our lead environment artist. Actually, is sort of a cinephile, and he um, he he actually helps storyboard. And, and between the two of them, um, you you can tell the cutscene quality has really elevated. Where we're really trying to tell uh, stories that not just are functional to get you, like the cutscene is just functional to get you through the story, but things that make you feel emotional uh, and make you feel like you have ties to the characters. And uh, uh, if any of you played our, you know, our last update, uh, it, that was some of our best work that I think we've done. Absolutely. I mean, it just really brings a, a, a whole new life to the game with such remarkable animation. And as you mentioned, uh, or have not, it's the revamp to even older missions uh, has really done a Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so so Weston, he's actually he took this all upon himself too. This this guy is so dedicated. Uh, he just dive in. He's like, oh yeah, I want to redo that that old cutscene, which was like it worked, it was fine, and then he redoes it, and you're like, 
wow, that's really good. <laughs> when did you do this? He's like, oh, I stayed late or whatever. I was talking to him prepping some stuff for this panel, and he sent me a question, and I didn't answer it for half an hour. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I took a lunch break. And he was like, oh, I should probably do that sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's take a look at some of his work. Hold on, before we do oh. that, there's, there's, there's a couple other shout-outs that, I mean, you mentioned Weston, so it's really, we've got like this three-person team that's really kind of pulled it together, right? Yeah, You mentioned the environment artist, yes. right? Um, so that, that, that's uh, Scott Boyd, and so like he's mentioned, he's got a cinematography background. By the way, I'm Al Rivera, I'm sorry I came out late, I had to, we had a little emergency backstage, so. Um, but, um, so Everything's he, fine, we've cleaned up all the blood. <laughs> and then we've got our, 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 our writer, Paul Reed. Okay, so the three of them are this like super pod of, of cinematics. And Scott, with the film background, we started storyboarding every scene. And, and if, you follow, if you follow me or if you follow Star Trek Online, we're very often we'll, we'll tweet out the storyboards that, that we had worked on from, from previous stuff. And then that's a really long back and forth process of, of first writing a script and then, and, and then you know, or, a, or a screenplay, really. Yeah. And then, and then doing, the, doing the, the storyboards and then going and then seeing what we can do, then blocking out an animation that says that doesn't work, we change the script, we change the scoreboard, we change, the, and, then, and then magic happens because Weston doesn't eat lunch. It's honestly um, like a team making uh, a um, hundred short films every year. Like it's a director, a writer, and a cinematographer working together to make a mini movie, but we make, you know, 10 of them for each release we do. Yeah, and, and just to follow up on what Al, I, I, you know, Paul is a huge, he's like the fuse that starts the whole thing usually. Uh, and then uh, it goes to, you know, over to Storyboard, to Wes and Animate, and then it comes back to Paul. And, it, and we have this, it's like a cycle that we go back and forth, and, uh, you know, we iterate to, you know, what you guys get to see. Round of applause for that cutscene. I mean... Guys, Prime Lorca is a badass, am I right? <laughs> so, now, the interesting thing about the cutscene is that that character at the end who saves Lorca, that is actually your character. So when you play the game, it'll show your avatar Saving Lorca, which I think is really cool. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah, and that's a that's a scene from our last our last expansion or our last uh, our, our last release, uh, Rise of Discovery, featuring Rekha Sharma and Jason Isaacs, who who did an amazing performance and our like most powerful uh, emotional piece of content we ever did for Star Trek Line. They did a fantastic job. Everyone should really check it out. We're super proud of it. So, Al, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we will be moving along? towards 2410 in the Star Trek mythos in Star Trek Online? So uh, for the last, I don't know, six months to a year, we've been focusing on, on uh, Age of Discovery. As, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, experience, we can start in Discovery era and, 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 and be a Discovery captain. Eventually you get moved forward in time, but we've been trying to fill that out era out. We had McMary Wiseman, I mentioned, and Rekha Sharma and Jason Isaacs to kind of make that all feel like you're part of that world. But now we're going to refocus on 2410. And we're still going to bring in, you know, Discovery-related stories and Discovery-related characters. And so our next release, Awakening, will feature our, uh, our, our, our story uh, um, Beneath the Skin, which we'll talk about a little bit, which will feature, uh, as you're all probably waiting for, Mr. Anthony Rapp. Well, everyone, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Anthony Rapp. Oh, crap, he threw better than all of us. <laughs> well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us here at You're STLV. Welcome. Thank you. 
So why don't we begin by, um, if you would, share with us how you got involved with Star Trek Online. Well, last year when I was here for the first time, I was walking on the floor and I met these guys. And um, I think, I, if I didn't say it out loud, I was saying it in my brain, but I think I said it out loud. I'd love to be a part of the game if possible at some point, but having no idea if that would be a real thing or not. You know, just like, I'm a, I'm a big gamer. Um, I have 69 or 70 platinum trophies on my PS4. Um, so. Cool. Including some really hard ones, like Bloodborne, yes. Um, so, so, so I'm a nerd, and, uh, and, and I've really wanted to do voice work and, and stuff for animated films or games, and I thought, well, hey, this might be the chance to do it, but I really didn't know that it would necessarily lead to it, nor that it would lead to it so soon. So um, I, I guess it was a couple of months ago that I officially got the word that they, that they wanted to make it happen, so I was really excited. I remember last year, it was like all Discovery, everything was just... Everyone was excited the first time the whole cast was there at the show. And so I was trying to meet everybody and, and, and see everyone's interest. We got, we got, I think we had already had, yeah, last year we had Mary and Rekha on stage. And so they hadn't recorded yet. Um, and, then, and then I had talked to Rekha and says, oh, I want to I I meet Anthony, right? And I tried to meet him, but he was got shuffled away going on to the next, to the next uh, uh, whatever signing or thing you're doing. So I didn't really get a chat with you. Um, and then you came to the booth. And, and, uh, and then we actually chatted on Twitter a little bit. And so... Um, and then we were able to make it happen, and I'm just super excited. I'm excited that he's a gamer, so we actually have a real gamer who's doing voice in our game. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, well, let, let's talk a little bit more about that. So, you said you are an avid PS4 player. Yeah. What uh, what kind of games do you enjoy most? What genres do you like playing? Um, I guess more action adventure uh, story based, more or less. Although, I, like, I also really love like uh, Rayman Legends. You know, like the platform, like the old school kind of took me back to my childhood kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, Bloodborne is sort of a hybrid-y kind of thing, I guess, in a way. It's RPG action-adventure, but it's like such an incredible world it's created. But, you know, like The Last of Us and the Mass Effect games, um, those are probably the ones that speak to my heart the most. Yeah. yeah. Where, you know, storytelling, um, where you have an impact in what happens sometimes, that kind right, of thing. Right, right. Have, uh, have you dabbled in MMOs much? That's the thing that I've been, I've told these guys, like, I have not yet, I have downloaded this game for quite a while, I'm just afraid of it, because when I, when I play a game, I really go hard, if I like it, and I Join us. And <laughs> One of the, us. The knowledge that, that MMOs never end is, is, is a little intimidating. Absolutely, and you can play it on PS4, so yeah. it's right there. So it's like, I want to, and I'm just afraid, especially now that we're shooting, like, I just, I I cannot have the time. And I'm always worried, like, if you, if you don't, it's sort of like a garden in MMO, that's what I think of it, is if you don't play it, then it dies. Like, like right. you lose what you had, right? Don't well, you not, no, not, not in Star Trek Online, you don't lose nothing. Okay, all right, well, yeah. so these are, like, I, have, I, have to, I have to educate myself more about some of the myths and legends that I have about the, the notion. You we, know, we are happy to sit down and talk, educate you at any time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get you, if, if you get in the game, if you get on PC, we'll actually, we'll, we'll change your character to be, Stamets, so that way you can actually play as Stamets as opposed to, you know, something you have to make on a character creator. So you can actually And no one will ever figure out it's you. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> Screen name is literally I am Anthony Rapp. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I did a, I've done a couple appearances with um, Greg Miller on, on his podcast and his shows, and every time I do that, I get like 200 friend requests on PS4, which is, you know, I like that, it's fine, but it's just funny. I'm not anonymous online. So now that you're in the Star Trek universe, you've gone on record to say that you were a huge fan before being cast in Discovery. Yeah. So now that we are two now going into three seasons, you're now going to lend your voice into Star Trek online. 
to continue the character. How has that influenced you as a fan and as an actor portraying a character in the franchise? Well, I mean, I, I always had incredible respect and regard for the importance and meaning of it. But, um, and I had a notion about what the community was like because one of my very best friends is a longstanding member of the fan community. Like back in the 70s or early 80s, he was somebody who was like mimographing, you know, fan, fan letters. You know, like he was part of, he was part of all this like way back before, before nerds were cool. Um, and so I, he, he gave me a sense of it. And, and in a way, the, the Rent fandom... And the Star Trek fandom, there is a Venn diagram where the two really intersect. And I say that only because they, what they share is, uh, my experience is that the people who are fans of Rent and fans of Star Trek, they, they've taken it into their hearts and their lives in a way that it's not simply like, oh, we think it's cool and oh, we think that guy's hot. Like it's, 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 it, it's helped shape their worldview and it's helped shape decisions that they've made about how they live their lives. Right. So um, that... That has had that has proven to be true in a way that I didn't even anticipate, and it's been incredible to be a part of something that continues to make a difference in the world. And our world needs more of a difference made in it every day. Like you know, bad right. things have happened in the past. Bad things are happening right now, and right. hopefully, we're going to keep trying to shine a light. You know, you brought up theater. You brought up rent, and you're actually on stage with two thespians, and we were going to oh, no. battle it out. Maybe we thought about maybe who was going. No, I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. no, no. We're not, we said up. we're not doing this. Daniel. I haven't warmed up. I'm not ready to sing, but. Um, <laughs> what I want to say is, uh, you know, both Rent and Star Trek, uh, theater and Star Trek, tend to push the limits with respect to making sure that it is representing several, several cultures, several, several of us. Um, do you look for that in your games? Is that something that you, or, or hope that more production companies develop? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we've had plenty of, like, white dude bros, you know, shooting up people, like, frankly, like, yeah, we need many more kinds of stories being told. One of the, you know, I guess it's a spoiler, it's a spoiler in Last of Us. Yeah, Last of Us does have, like, Caucasian, you know, protagonists, but the way that they tell the story and the, the, the colors that they show of their lives, and then, the, then when the, you know, spoiler, when it switches to playing her for a while, you know, just like, right. that, that, that they take, that, that they find ways to subvert the, the norms, I think that's really important. I think that, I do believe that there's a lot of game studios that are getting more and more mindful of, of having, you know, multi-ethnic, multi, you know, background, multi, and not just, you know, the, of course there's the tropes of the villains who are always such and such a color or such and such a language. You know, that, that stuff I think is getting a little bit more scrubbed out of the, of the gaming industry, I hope. Absolutely. So going back to Star Trek Online, Jesse, why don't you uh, share with us how Anthony's character, Paul Stamets, will be involved in Star Trek Online? You bet. So, of course, Stamets is in 2256 in Discovery, and most of our story here takes place in 2410. Uh, what happens now is a story unfolds that involves the mycelial network, as seen in Discovery, uh, and you need some expert advice on how to solve a particular problem. And uh, obviously the first name on such a list would be Paul Stamets, but he's not available if you've been watching <laughs> Discovery. So in the course of this story, you will create one using the hologram technology that we've seen in the later Star Trek series. You create a holographic version of Paul Stamets to try to help you solve these problems that are cropping up in the mycelial network as a result of current conflicts. Uh, kind of like what happened with Jordy when Jordy created Leah Brahms to fix the Enterprise. He made a holographic version of the expert in Enterprise. The player will be making, you know, need to make an expert. We need a holographic expert here. 
Right, but instead of it becoming a, a dating sim, it becomes... <laughs> <laughs> this becomes a case where the problems it's not, of... It's not? I thought, I thought we were going to do that. No. <laughs> am, am I redoing the episode? Is that, is that what's happening? What happens in Stowe... <laughs> So, uh, what happens in the mycelial network sheds light on questions about consciousness, about how we perceive the universe, about how we perceive people, what makes a person, and as part of the story, you, the player, help this hologram, a computer program, to learn from the memories and experiences of the living Paul Stamets, the records of him, memories that are kept in the network from when he interfaced with it, and to awaken him hence the name of our release, uh, to realize who he was, who he is, and how that allows consciousness to travel through the network. And we're very excited to have Anthony Rapp take on that challenge. I'm excited too. Yes, round of applause. Well, up above your heads is the digital version oh, of Anthony Rapp. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> Bill, why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh, what it takes to take a living actor and digitizing them for Star Trek Online? Well, so we started out, uh, I don't know if you remember when they, did, they had the, the LiDAR on when they took a bunch of photos of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we got that data. It was not very clean data. Um, but the, uh, we used that as a, as a kickoff point, and then we had a, an actor uh, effectively create like a digital sculpt of you uh, and then we then get it into our game, and then we begin the, the back and forth of, well, this is how our game renders, and this is how that looked, and we go back and forth. Um, it, this is still technically a work in progress, but we're, really, we're getting a lot closer. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good. I mean, you know, it, it, well, you're, you're, you're you kind of pasty, and that would actually is a challenge. That's a challenge. Well, I am too, like, and, you know. But, uh, you're pasty? All right, sir. It did present some challenge, but I think we, you know, we got a pretty good likeness of you, I think. Uh, you, you like it? Absolutely. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So I, I will let, I'll let the lead character artist know. He'll, he'll be happy that you like it. So, Anthony, what do you think about the direction that the team at Cryptic is taking Stamets? Well, I, th I think it's really cool to have the opportunity to um, play a, a, it's kind of like, I think of it almost like a fractal of him, you know, that so all the dimensions are there, but they're not all visible at first, maybe, and then they become more and more apparent. Um, I was so inspired by the work that Brent Spiner did, so I, the way I'm kind of, I've, I haven't recorded it yet, I recorded it on Thursday um, of, of this coming week, so... But that's a little bit of what I'm thinking, in a way, of his, his own kind of awakening to consciousness and, and sentience and hu humanity. But I don't think, I don't mean to say that he's quite that stilted or blocked as, as data might have been at first, but just in terms of like, it goes, I imagine it goes from simpler to more complex as it goes. Right, 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 right. So from um, speaking about this and, and now kind of shifting over to a backstory that Stamets uh, had in the IDW comics, well, which influences Star Trek Online, how does that influence your portrayal of the character? Did that reading the comic kind of give you a different approach? Were you involved in the, written, the writing of the comic? I wasn't involved at all, but it just, it just helps. It just like adds nice little extra vegetables into the stew. Right. right. You know, um, it's, it's, it, it kind of reinforces some of my notions and it just helps. It, yeah, it's just, it's just a, it's a pleasing infusion of, of new information that helps give me more to chew on. Good, good. Interesting story when, 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 we, when I was 
worked, working with trying to figure out how we're going to get Anthony into the game. Well, first we were going to do a Mark from Rent and then maybe bring Daryl from Ventures and Babysitting, so a multiverse kind of thing. But, um, but then it's like, well, I actually really wanted to tell an origin story about you and how you found, you know, Silvatore and, 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 and how you met Hugh. And then the comics did it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So we can't do that. But, but we read through it really clearly to make sure that, you know, we were consistent with it. And we found some tidbits that maybe we'll share a little bit later today that we'll talk about. And, and there's a book coming out, too, a Stamets book, which I don't even know what it involves, really. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm totally curious and, and excited to read that, too. Now, Thomas, I, I want to direct this next question at you. From the IDW comic, we are shown a, sh a new ship, Stamets' ship. Uh, why don't you tell us about taking a model for that you've seen in IDW and bringing it into the game? Yeah, so uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Mike Johnson and Chase Martaz, um, both at IDW. They're yeah! Over there. uh, um, we got to talk with them earlier this week, uh, and it was uh, a great time, just a bunch of Star Trek nerds, you know, jamming about story and how, how we can keep working together. But um, when I read the, the prequel comic, um, uh, I noticed the USS Somerville, which is actually the, the starship that recovers the first sample of uh, Stellavatory. And uh, it looked really cool. And I thought, hey, you know, we're doing this, um, this Stamus-focused mission. What if we also incorporated this ship from the comic into the game? Why not, right? Star Trek Online, one of the, the things that players really love about the game is collecting ships and flying new ships. And it just sort of rounds out the whole uh, experience even more. Um, Stamets didn't actually serve on uh, the Somerville, to be technical, but... Uh, <laughs> you got to wiggle the glasses and yeah, say, well, actually... That's why I'm wearing them. Um, <laughs> But no, it was super cool. So the, the you know, it's a comic panel. It's not, uh, it is, it's a pretty detailed drawing, but it's not as detailed as we need to create a 3D model. So we had our in-house uh, concept artist, Hector Ortiz, who's been working on Star Trek online for six years. He's designed dozens and dozens, maybe even over a hundred starships for us. Uh, he's a brilliant artist. And so we had him flesh out the design. And then we took that. Um, and the ship you see, uh, that's actually some of Hector's work too. Uh, that's not the Somerville from the comic. That's our 25th century interpretation of the ship, which will also be coming out um, with this release uh, or shortly after. Um, and that's something we just like to do in general is, is take the Discovery era 23rd century stuff and update it to our era of the game as well, just so players get more options and uh, more customization. So now, Bill, players are soon about... Oh, actually, we got the video. Yeah, we've got a video here. This is, this is the Somerville as it appeared in the comic. Um, but fully realized in Star Trek Online. So it's got, um, you know, it's just really great to see it come to life with so much detail. Um, and so we hope you guys uh, enjoy it. And if you don't already recognize that background, too, is the Battle at the Binary Stars. Um, so it, the adventures continue from Discovery within Star Trek Online, which is wonderful. Hey, you can... Yeah, you, you, can you can play Battle at the Battle of Binary Stars in a holographic simulation, and everything happens. Uh, you know, the, uh, the the cleave ship cuts the admiral ship in half, and Takuma shows up and does terrible things, and you, and you got to protect uh, the the Shenzhou. So that's a really fun map, and your artist did an amazing job capturing what the Battle of Binary Stars looked at. Yeah. I think it was this artist right there, right? Yeah, that, Nick guy right there. that guy right there. <laughs> that's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good job, Nick. Seriously, that's one of the best space masks we have in the game. So, everybody say thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick.
I, I have a question. Has there been a Leroy Jenkins moment in the Star Trek Online fan family? Ha, has there been only one, I think, is the... <laughs> yeah. Have you played a TFO? That's what I would say. Right. Well, while we're on the topic of environments, we are about to move into a new environment in Star Trek Online, the mycelial network. Bill, why don't you talk to us about the design process of taking elements from the CBS All Access television show and then bringing them and porting them into Star Trek Online. Now, just as a quick heads up, some of that content at the end of that video obviously wasn't the Mycelial Network. We'll talk a little bit about that more later, but um, th those were all parts of the uh, updates to the patrol system that we're doing and the new patrols that we're making for Awakening. So, um, as you can see here, we, we did a pretty darn good job of emulating what you see on screen. Um, Nick, thank you. <laughs> this, guy, this guy right here. Um, but... Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's, you know, we, we had the, some of the early concepts uh, from the show and then obviously the show itself. And uh, I mean, Al, I remember he's like, well, can you make it? <laughs> and I'm like, I think we can make it. And then I, I think, I don't know if I talked to you or, or uh, Scott first, but we're like, ah, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. And then we started doing it and then uh, it just came together. Like, I'm like, wow, this really looks like the show. Like it, it, it we, and you get to totally go through this. I think we have a couple more slides, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, go and go, and go through the... Oh! Ah! No! Um, and uh, I'm not going to say what those structures are, but if you recognize them, you're correct in your thinking of what they are. You may have um, seen them in the video, too. <laughs> so, Anthony, but, Anthony you spent some time in the mycelial network. Sure did, more than once. Okay. <laughs> Can you t give us some uh, behind the scenes of what it's like to work and set up a stage like that? Uh, it's all green screen. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, weren't the trees there? <laughs> wasn't there like the little tree thing? I don't know. I didn't. Not, not in that part. Oh, not um, for you. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was, the, my, my main stuff in the Missile Network was when I encountered Mir Stamets. Um, so it's was, it was kind of weird, though, because it, it, there was like this huge, they had to build a huge platform for some reason. I don't remember why, but so that was the, the floor of the platform had to be green and then all the green around. Most of our sets in, on the show, if you were ever lucky enough to get a tour of our sets, Everything is real, except for that. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, which is, you know, understandable. So, but happily, they, we have concept artists who are, who are working in the offices there and probably in the video, um, in the special effects department. So you can see art. So it's not just that we have to, like, imagine, like, oh, what might it look like? It's, it, we get something like this that we get to see that helps us imagine it. Um, but in that case, yeah, I was like, not only was I in this imaginary place, but then I was also talking to myself, right. and, but I wasn't really there. So it was this whole real kind of trippy mind <laughs> right. thing kind of thing. I was about on. to say, yeah. did the script itself just say, you are in a bad trip? More or less. Yeah, more <laughs> or less. Yeah. Well, Al, uh, before we start taking some community questions, why don't you give us some uh, information of what we can expect for the next chapter of Star Trek Online? Okay, sure. Like I mentioned, it's uh, the next uh, season is called Awakening, and we talked a little bit about the episode, so that's that's our like signature piece. Um, and we just brushed on some patrols, so we are revamping the way we do patrols in the game. In the past, patrols were something really quick and light that we made that were kind of like mission light, but because they were mission and heavy uh, story based they were not so replayable we have a whole brand new interface for patrols and now they're like mini tf mini tfos for one one to five players so you can play it by yourself you can play with five players and so it's like a little tfo or if you don't know task force operation no, excuse me for the jargon um so action based 
and you and you go through and you there's everything has a mechanic usually or some 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 trick you have to solve to solve it and but heavy action but it's also got a backstory and and Stamets will basically be leading you through it because as you go through this event there's this mycelium event there's a problem surprise that you know there's a that the mycelium network is breaking into uh, into into the into the world into the, in, uh, and 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 that's why we get Stamets to try to solve this as a tear in the fabric of space and time here. And so the mission just kind of sets you up on, we've got to solve this, but we're not done. The problem is continuing. So you go on these patrols. And so after you finish the mission, Stamus goes out. I'm going to go and try to see, figure out what's out. And every time you help, I'll give you a call. And we go and we, we deal with that problem. Um, so, so like five little mini missions that are high action, high pace, and, and, and they're about eight minutes of gameplay. Super fun. Um, super replayable, really excited about that. And of course, we're also going to have a full uh, task force operation in the mycelial network. And as you might have caught up there, tardigrades. So they'd be working with tardigrades in the mycelial network. Super cool, super fun. Um, Someone and tell this whole thing is wrapped into what we're calling the mycelial event. And in the mycelial, so you can pick every day to play uh, any combination of those daily to make progress in the mycelial event, and at the end of, I think we're running for four weeks. Yeah, it's it's kind of like our uh, kind of like a winter event in length. Yeah, it's and an, so it's you can play yeah. the episode, the patrols, the TFO. All of them will give you credit towards getting that Alachi ship you saw yeah, at the end. So of you'll the get video. an Alachi. You can earn a Alachi ship, starship for yourself. And so there goes the kind of the spoiler about what that thing was in the network. So. Um, well, I won't get well, to Lachi's. Lachi's part of it. So, if you know everyone, remember what Lachi are? They're mushroom people. Their ships teleport. They're from a subspace realm. Kind of happen to work out. Kind of work out. And the so, one thing to mention about that, um, that would, with the new way that we're doing patrols, is um, you won't have to fly to the patrol. Oh, no, no, you just boom. That's your, they'll, you they're, they'll, they're that. just, it's just going to be a menu like TFOs. I want to play this patrol. Boom, you go play it. So why don't we take the first question? Oh, uh -oh. use your stage voice. Just project. <laughs> Was Easter the eggs hidden, hidden in the game. Easter was the um, there, we always do have little things. Um, I know uh, in our most recent Rise of Discovery one, uh, Jesse added an achievement uh, that was sort of a, a fun little in-joke if you uh, danced in the right spot in one of the epi uh, episodes. Um, and we always include little fun references to the different Star Trek continuity and things that we enjoy talking about. So yes is the answer to your I question. Have, I have one I want to share. Um, the, there's a, a character at Starfleet Academy, Professor Meyer, who's named after one of my roommates in college. Uh, we were really close, so I had... Aren't, aren't you in the game as an Easter egg, Thomas? Huh? Aren't you in the game as an uh, Easter egg? I was. I'm not anymore. <laughs> not I, got, anymore? I got ripped out, but... Uh... <laughs> Maybe I'll come back someday. Oh, boy. So the question was, uh, are there any changes to the, game, to the game being made because of Picard? So our game takes place in 2409, 2410. Picard takes place in... Uh, uh, a 2399, I think, about 10 years before us. And if, if you're a player of the game, we actually have Seven of Nine and Hugh in our game. And, uh, and we have lots of Borg in our game, and surprise, um, they're on, they're on uh, Picard, and Jerry Ryan looks different, right? So um, I don't know yet. We're working with CBS. Um, so we know a little bit about what's going on. Not much of what they're doing so far clobbers us in any particular terrible way. Um, there's some minor things like, oh, well, maybe we'll just retcon that. And so we'll see how much we have to retcon before we just have to say, you know, oh, he asked me to explain what retcon means. 
I'm sorry for jargon. <laughs> we may have to go back and change some of our history and say, okay, it happened, it's happened differently. Um, but, um, you know, it's Star Trek. It's, there's, we go to the J.J. Kelvin timeline, a completely different timeline. Um, and so if we have to do multiverse kind of things, we'll do multiverse kind of things. But we will definitely be doing Picard-related stuff in Star Trek Online. Um, we represent all types of Star Trek. We will, if there's a Section 31 show, if that happens, we'll do that stuff. If there's whatever happens in Discovery Season 3, maybe we'll time travel into the future and do stuff there and bring Anthony back or something. We'll see. Um, if he dies, we'll resurrect him over on our, on our game or something. So, <laughs> but yes, Picard's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I don't think it's a bad thing with so much Star Trek coming out. It is just fantastic, just rich, so much lore characters and items and starships to use in Star Trek Online. I'm totally stoked. We'll make it work. Anthony, you've had the opportunity of working with Jonathan Frakes now in Discovery. Yes. Have you been able to rub elbows with any of the other <laughs> Star Trek um, alum? Yeah, just at these events, I mean, I've gotten to meet almost everybody now who's come to these. Um, do you geek out yeah. just as badly as we Absolutely. do for you guys? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I mean, especially, you know, as an actor, there's... There, I have great respect for them as actors. There's, you know, certain certain characters' performances that have spoken to me even more, you know, more personally. Right. So yeah, like getting to say hello to Brent Spiner today was really thrilling. You know, um, meeting Sir Patrick last year at right, and being here when he made the announcement was an amazing honor. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get, I get, get totally geeked out about that. Wonderful. Yeah. Next question. Anthony, just uh, welcome to the game, first of all. Thank you. Uh, I'm an original pre-order subscriber and lifetime member, so I've been with Thank the you very much. whole shenanigans almost 10 years now, I guess, as we go to it. So one of the silly questions that I have as we kind of talked last year, I don't know if you guys remember me talking last year, but uh, we were talking about like the stuff that you can get in the game that you can't get from the C-Store. So basically, and without going a whole in-depth into like the way that the C-Store works versus the, uh, the, the, the crates and stuff like that. Um, some, something simple is like the uniforms. Some uniforms, like the Discovery one, you know, you get here, but you can't get anywhere else. Updates with the Enterprise version aren't available yet. Um, other versions like the con coat, the tunic like, like I'm wearing now with the vest, you know, different things. Is there plans, or are there plans, to actually bring these extra options into the C-Store so then it can get to all the characters, so all we're the always, players easier? We're always planning on adding new stuff to the game. Um, and we're always looking for new stuff, both from Star Trek history and the shows that are airing right now to add to the game. And part of my job as a community manager is to listen to everything that you guys are asking for. And I, I hear those things every day and I pass them on to the team. We know about the T6 Nova, guys. We, we know. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so it's, it's tough to say what specifically might be coming, um, but you know we're always working on that kind of stuff. We always are working to bring you guys things that will allow you to have your Star Trek experience um, that you want. Uh, or as many of our fans say, uh, Space Barbie is the true end game. Uh, and we, we want to make sure you have the best Space Barbie. So we will, more stuff will be coming. I'm well, sure you want to talk a little bit about the Thank process you. of doing that? Because it's actually takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the uh, ultimately we want exactly what you what you want. Uh, the challenge we have is the, the amount of time it takes to you know get it, put it on, and um, the poor character lead Ian, bless his heart, he tries to get everything in that we ask him to do, but he does have to go home. 
Um, so <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, uh, but uh, as Mike said, Mike constantly is saying, "Hey, you know, everyone's asking for this and that, and we and we do try to get stuff in. We just try to gauge which which thing is higher priority, and that's actually probably the bigger challenge of wh what do we think is the thing everybody wants." So right. And just to clarify, a lot of the stuff is in the game already. It's just like you have to do this to get this versus everybody having the option to purchase everything that's available now sure, versus sure, adding yeah. new content. But how, anyway. how things are available is always going to be a little different for every item and right. it's going to change over time. Uh, some things might become more available or they might not. The so short answer is everything you see on the shows, everything will eventually be in Star Trek Online. So Thank it you. just will be there and so it's just always just a matter of time and priority and, and we've already got hundreds or thousands of uniforms and billions of combinations already. So. You know, the next uh, discoveries are in there, but like the disco, you know, enterprise errors, sure, yeah, you'll see it. Everything will be there. Thank you. Hey, uh, before she asks her question, I actually want to give a uh, shout out to Strike Group Armada, which is her fleet, which for the last two years has paid for a booth to come to Star Trek Las Vegas to promote their fleet and our game. And they just wrote an unofficial guide to Star Trek Online character creation that you should go buy on Amazon. Okay, I'm done. So when you play a game, do you have to have like, the most leak gear, like is that, is that your, how do you play? I like to, I like, I like, uh, I tend toward like the stealth, if, if it's like an option, like say you could be like the warrior or the thief, I would be more the thief or the mage, you know, like the, the I'm not as into like the raw, but then sometimes I do like to go back and just try, when, when there are games that give you options, I like to try all the different options, yeah. So I don't know if that totally answers your question, but I don't care about whether it's the most elite or- Are you a, I, I'm par not like a Paragon or a Renegade in Mass Effect? I, I'm, I play Paragon, but then I play through again as Renegade just because I'm curious. I want to see those story points, too. That makes sense. So. Hi. Anthony, um, well, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of Discovery. What I love about it is what Stowe has brought into the game to give us a lot of the backstory of the characters and aspects that we don't see from the series. And I was wondering if you have any idea if any of that's going to be brought in through your character. Are we going to get to know more about him and his tale? Because I have this envisionment, I would love to see Killy, who I now adore, versus Lita taking over the Terran Empire. Right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know all the material yet. I haven't seen all the material, so I don't know. Um, but I know that it's all based on everything that's available to them as developers. So I imagine that they're, like, it's all going to be inside of it. I'm really curious myself to see what's going to come through. Um, well, but I trust to that it's going to be consistent and it's going to be true to him and his in his life. I really hope that we get to see a greater exploration of your character so that we can really get a better feeling for him and enjoy him in gameplay. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. I, I didn't quite hear all of that question, but I think I got the gist of it. But, you know, our writer, uh, Paul Reed, who's just an amazing writer, um, the, last two the last two episodes he created, one, you know, one with, with Tilly, and then later then he did one with Killy. I mean, he n nailed her inflections so well. Um, and you could see it's like, yeah, that sounds like something she would say. And then as soon as she was in the booth, it was like, boom. And you just couldn't stop laughing. It was just her delivery was perfect. And so he, he really captures the essence of the characters. And of course, when Victory is Life, the way he captured Garrick, and the way he captured, the way he captured Odo and Kira, I mean, he, he really is able to pull out what, what makes those characters an excellent writer. And then when you throw an actor, and, and so I'm really looking forward to what Anthony puts his layer on top of what Paul has written. Uh, I think everyone's going to be really, really pleased. I'm super excited. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to say that. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so fanning out. And I'm just so, so um, 
just humbled to be up here on the stage with you. And thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's my total pleasure. Thank you. Jesse. I, I, I just wanted to, to interject as the mission designer that the, the hologram stamets that we see in the episode to, to be able to understand the mycelial network as more than just a computer, he has to understand it as Paul Stamets. And that means that part of what that shows us is what does Stamets love? What does he fear? What makes him sad? What makes him elated? And so we get to sort of revisit those moments and, and that, that will be the, the actor's challenge really is through your vocalization and then through the Western cinematography to get across those things and that moment of what makes him turn over from being a computer to a person. What's the person that is Paul Stamets? Oh, thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> Hello. Oh, sorry. Uh, so first, I just want to say I've been an Anthony Rapp fan for 23 years. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, but I don't have a question for you as much as I'd love to talk to you all afternoon. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the question I have, uh, so I wasn't really excited about it um, until I actually saw the panel this morning on Star Trek Lower Decks, and now I am actually really excited about it. It looks really interesting, but clearly since it's animated and uh, you already are in an animated universe, and I don't even know if you've thought this far ahead yet, but have you guys thought about changing the art style to match animate? those, whatever you add into Star Trek Online. The game that comes to mind is like Kingdom Hearts, right? When you're in a different universe, the art style changes based on that universe. Please Change let the whole art style, Bill. Please let me have a Rick and Morty style character in Star Trek Online, please. <laughs> so, please. Well, so I, I think changing the art style of the game is probably not in the cards. That, that's, yeah, that I could, we, we could talk for hours uh, about the logistics problems with that, but the, I think touching on those themes and what you see in the show, but in our game, yeah, the characters, uh, I, I think that totally is doable. I well, think, so I, I think there's, there's sort of a, I don't want to call it a compromise, but it's, we're definitely interested. I mean, we, the, the, the seeing the, um, uh, the router, well, I can't think of that guy's name. The Rick and Morty guy. The Rick and Morty guy, yeah. <laughs> that guy, no, that guy is brilliant. <laughs> He was doing a presentation at the licensing summit, and I'm like, no wonder this guy has this job. He was just, and so yeah, I'd love to get that stuff in the game. That and it totally has a place in our game too. So and and it would be fun for us, I think, to take the designs from the animated show and actually, you know, uh, make them a bit more realistic and in line with our style, and then then you have kind of a different slant on them and and sort of it grounds them a bit in reality, and it's just it makes the Star Trek universe even bigger. So. Um, and you know, we could even lampshade it somehow, you know, uh, but... Everything looks so different on this right. ship. <laughs> <laughs> it was stated that Lower Decks is canon, so anything canon will be in Star Trek Online. Awesome, uh, thank you. Love you, Anthony. I think we have time for one more question. And this one's real quick. I just have a short question for Anthony. What's cooler, seeing yourself in a comic book or a video game? Wow. <laughs> If I'm seeing, I mean... Do you remember the Twitter conversation we had about that? It's just the, the, the comic book situation, like, I, that was the very, one of my very first earliest loves before there were, even were video games. Because you remember, I was born in 1971. There weren't video games, really, you know, until a little bit later. So I used to, I was, when I was on tour as a kid in shows, I would go into a comic book store in every city. And I have, I still have boxes of comics. So... I, and these are the kinds of things I never, I guess part of it is that I never imagined myself in a comic book. I really never did. I thought maybe at some point I could like act in a video game, but not necessarily to be my likeness in it. 
but yeah, the comic book thing that blew my mind to such a degree because I it, that just seemed like that will that would never happen. Why would that ever happen? And yet it happened. So it's probably I don't know if it's cooler. It's just more mind blowing. It's more like alternate universe kind of moment. This is cool. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I think that wraps it up for this panel this afternoon. Again, my thanks to our guests, the development team behind Star Trek Online, to Anthony Rapp. Thank, Thank you. you so very Thank much you. for joining Thank us. Thank you. Don't forget, if you have follow-up questions, visit us over at the Roddenberry Monolith, where we'll be doing post-panel discussions. Thank you so very much. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization, Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. We are here at Star Trek Las Vegas 2019, and I am talking Star Trek Online with the executive producer of the game, Andre. Thank you so very much. It's great to have you finally on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Thank you for sitting down again with us. My pleasure. Good to see you again. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the game. Um, Andre, we have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have yet to have had you on the show. Um, and I like to kind of get to know you as EP for Star Trek, right? What is your, if, I guess what the question I, I want to say is, what impact do you want to have on the game? Oh, well, that's, <clears throat> that's a fantastic question. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, having been with um, Cryptic for a little over 18 months at this point, I gave a lot of thought to that coming in, and you know, I quickly learned that there were so many passionate, like hardcore Trek fans, like within the company and certainly on the team. So it was it was clear that they didn't need somebody to augment the strengths in that area. So you know, I wanted to to look at ways to, you know, sort of as as a set of fresh eyes on the game, you know, think of ways to you know, become as accessible as possible and make sure that we were getting into the hands of lots of players, making sure that they were having a good experience and making sure we just sort of balanced all the great storytelling we do with lots of features and systems and different things that would just make it um, uh, you know, a celebration of such a long run, especially as we're getting close to our 10th. You know, you think about, you can count the number of, of successful games on a hand or two in the MMO space that have run this long. Right. So for me, it's really just been about where can we find opportunities to thank the players that have been here so long and and help it feel new and fresh and, and contemporary for, for everybody new to, the, new to the game. And for listeners that um, haven't... Uh researched you why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in gaming uh, how did you get involved with cryptic studios well i've been you know this is actually i think i think this is my 26 year 25 26 something like Rats. that i stopped counting at, at a couple of decades but um you know i came in through uh what used to be and and to an extent it still is a, a pretty traditional channel i came in through um customer service and qa I uh, tested a bunch of games. Like the the very first game that I tested was MechWarrior 2 and um, went on to work at lots of different companies. And, um, you know, my, my passion was sort of like a hybrid between uh, design and production. So, you know, you'll you'll meet producers of all flavors. Some come from, from the art background, some come from a design background, some from a tech, um, you know, some from just a business background. And for me, it's... Um, you know, I found uh, early on, it's like one of the best ways to get sort of like your design 
uh, ideas into a game is to also be the person producing it. So, so uh, you know, I've, I've come to have an enormous respect for all the different disciplines in, in our business and the hard work that goes into it. So, you know, for me, it's been it's been an amazing run and it's coming into Cryptic, you know, it's um, it's really incredible because like we've seen our business go through so much transition over the years and we've seen so many studio closures and, and like to come into Cryptic and see so many tenured staff members, people with five, 10, 15 years experience. I'm sitting next to one of them. And that says a hell of a lot. Can I say that? That says a hell of a lot about, um, you know, the, the quality of the company, the, the passion of the staff, the culture of the organization, and to be able to join them and bring sort of uh, my experience to the table and blend with um, the cryptic formula to be part of this is, is, is quite special. Now, you, uh, you mentioned a few moments ago that you've been on the cryptic team for 18 months now. Uh, Give or take. Yeah, so you're now moving in towards the 10th anniversary, right? That it'll be here before you know it. Um, what do you want to tackle? What do you want to celebrate with the 10th year anniversary? What is on your whiteboard right now? <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you, but uh, <laughs> um, th there'll be a lot of specifics uh, about that coming soon. In in general, we really want this to be. We, we, you know, for the team, for the players, for everybody, we want this to be a true celebration of of the heroes, of the villains, of the, of the players, and try to create something that um, is a little bit different. It's a lot of fun and something that um, you know we've been working we've been working in the discovery space for um, quite some time now, and 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 DS9 before that. Uh, we want this to be something truly special. We've got a few tricks up our sleeve, um, but it'll be. You know, we want it to be the type of thing where it doesn't feel like a, um, you know, just an insider type thing either. It's uh, we want this to be special for everybody. What is a player concern now that you have been keeping your eye on? Something that you know you want to address, or something that you want to tell the players directly? Well, I mean, like one of the things that that we want to do is we want to sort of bring some energy. Um, back to fleets you know there's uh it's something that you know passionate players have been part of for a long time we've been with our with our focus on discovery you know, as you know we built a new starting experience lots of new content um episodes tfos and so we focused a lot on creating essentially uh, a new path for players into the game and so we haven't really been able to to, to sort of revisit fleets and make sure that, um, you know, there's there's fresh content, fresh reasons to play. And that's an area where I think there's there's tons of room for, for enhancement. Now, when you are suggesting enhancements, uh, are we talking about perhaps new systems or the addition of new fleet holdings, uh, new projects that fleet should be worrying about or something really new? Well, definitely, definitely some new systems, but also I think we, we learned through a lot of the new players who came in through Discovery, the, the idea of fleets is pretty, it, it's pretty insider, it's pretty buried. I mean, you can essentially level up a character, and if you don't get an invite and you're not sort of paying attention or, or clicking through the game, you may not really know what, what they are, why they exist, how you could benefit from it, and with with Trek being, you know, such, I mean, look around us today at the convention. It's like with it being such a social thing for it to not be sort of better broadcast, 
um, is an area where we can improve. And that's not even a knock on the journey that, that got us where we are. Anytime you're building a game that's going on 10 years old, it's, you know, you're putting a lot of track in front of moving train. And there's a lot of presumption that your players kind of like, well, you know, they know about this. They've been around a long time. But especially when you get into MMOs, when you get into free to play, you're attracting a lot of new players all the time. So it's very easy to sort of uh, overlook those players that have come in in the last one, two, three years. And we want to make sure that uh, the entire end game and the social aspects are, are, you know, well understood by everybody. You know, it's interesting you talk about the social aspects of the game. Uh, a few, you know, we were, a few episodes ago, we were actually talking about that. Um, because you're right, you know, you can go through Star Trek Online 1 to 60 and never talk to another soul, you know, uh, throughout your experience. Um, and, you know, something for me personally, coming from a older MMO generation of City of Heroes, things like that, you know, something that I did was activate everybody's name above their head, right? So I knew the difference between an NPC and another character because by default the game doesn't, uh, has it hidden. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that, you know, there's, uh, you guys are looking into interesting new ways of getting players to commune, especially finding the advantages of being in a fleet. Well, and, and, you know, not, not every player wants that experience. You know, we see that through, I mean, you could play a piece of, of shared social content and there may not be much chatter at all, but, um, you know, I think having more channels, more ways into that propagates participation and like not everybody necessarily wants to get out in front of the, the socialization, but if it's happening, they engage, you know, so it's an area where, you know, we don't want to be forceful about it, but um, we certainly want to be, you know, like I said, better broadcast that it's there and even maybe revisit the, the, you know, sort of why to be there. And, and there's a whole nother layer that, that personally I've not even engaged with, and that's what the Armada is. So without even sort of players, some players understanding there's fleets, they certainly don't understand Armadas. And um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And, um, you know, one of the systems, and, and, and Elle's going to kill me when, when this gets out there, but, but one of the things that I'd like to explore, okay, I think that's a safe way to sort of explain it, would be a fleet level admiralty system because I, I think it's a cool fun little feature we have in the game and one of the things that i think would be a lot of fun to do at the fleet level and is is come up with a number of um you know fleet projects that have very high and or unique requirements and each fleet member can only contribute one ship and so you know, and make sure that the rewards are commensurate with that, uh, you know, with that participation. But, uh, you know, have varying numbers of, of ships that are required, very specific requirements, and attach really strong rewards to it and really sort of stimulate, uh, you know, fleet chatter and fleet recruitment to try to get sort of all the pieces they need to uh, to engage in the projects. What about uh, things like quality of life improvements? You know, there are players that will voice uh, opinions about certain bugs, persistent bugs that are in the game. Uh, what can you talk to about that and addressing those things? Well, I, I mean, I can say that um, we've got active channels with our with our CS group and more than probably, now let, let me strike the probably, certainly more than anything I've worked on, you know, you've got a passionate dev team that is prideful of, of the game. And frankly, the, the sheer amount of work that we spend addressing live issues, 
it often detracts from the new things we're doing. So even though we don't, I mean, you'll see our patch notes and things like that, but even though we don't broadcast and pat ourselves on the back for every little thing we do, it's interesting when you go back and look at sort of, um, you know, all the check-ins on the code side and, and we look at everything that gets done over like a month or two period, there are dozens, sometimes hundreds of, of small improvements. Now, um, not all of them will be felt by everybody all the time because quite often, um, you know, it, it will be a small number of, of uh, people who are experiencing an issue. So, but that's important to us too. Like our engineers, like we will see an issue that might be plaguing uh, one player but we're concerned at how many more people may be experiencing that or might experience it. And so we try to get out in front of everything. So it's definitely not a group that sort of leans back on this stuff. It's, it's, it's the most lean forward group on fixing things that, that I've ever, ever worked with. And, you know, and in terms of quality of life, we're always thinking about it. You know, it's, um, you know, I think case in point would be, um, the, the task force operations, you know, we've got, um, a few things we've done with that uh, over the course of discovery. Uh, one of them is that we've made more of them available to leveling players so that A, they can sort of engage and, and start to see what the end game looks like, and B, just start socializing back to the socialization point with other players. Um, we don't want end game, we don't want end game to look and feel so different than the leveling experience. So we introduced a lot of TFOs for the leveling player. Uh, the other thing we've done is by doing randoms um, for all those players who are fine-tuning work on their reps and trying to get certain things done. Uh, the random system has all but eliminated queue wait times, so people can jump in now and be sort of like rewarded for the for the randomness of it, while other players who are seeding those queues and trying to get uh, the TFOs done for their reps, uh, they're getting lots of uh, engagement from the players they need very quickly. One of the... Um persistent player concerns that uh, we keep hearing about, for instance, is, you know, the randoms are great and the rewards are, are fantastic and certainly incentivize. But what about players that, you know, will have a specific and unique spec for ground that then don't have an opportunity to switch over when they when they random up for a ground? Well, we've we've talked about it and it, it's something we want to do. It just hasn't, you know, with the various sort of things we've been fixing and building for for both the uh, you know, uh, awakening and an anniversary. Um, we just haven't haven't addressed it yet. Um, we know it's popped up, and it's something that we're aware of. And, and you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know that we've arrived at a solution, but we know that it's a it's a dilemma, and we're trying to think about how to do it. Now, the good news is, you know, it's like if, if players are prioritizing builds for space, um, and they end up getting a ground uh, a ground TFO, um, the content. You know, I, you know, I'm not really speaking, you know, to, to, to advanced or elite, but like, you know, for, for your normal base content, a lot of the stuff, as long as you're, you know, sort of playing like all of our content scales. So you're going to have a lot of success. And, and, the, and we built the game in a way where there is no, there is no fail, start over, get booted out. So you are going to have success and you might take some lumps along the way, but, um, yeah, by all means. I mean, we'd love to get to a point where you can be sort of duly optimized and, and ready for any content. So, so I'd like to chime in. Just like one of the impacts that Andreas had is you know, random TFOs was something that, that, that he had suggested. I had talked on Priority One multiple times about we were looking for ways to 
to uh, to make TFOs to, to revamp the way we did TFOs, and it, it was a solution that he had suggested. And so we we went with that, um, and it's been remarkably successful, and and I, I think it, it revitalized the game and and, and revitalized uh, the way people play TFOs. Uh, to, to your question, I mean, the, the uh, you know the ideal goal would be in a way for you to have a ground in a space built with specializations and, and and traits, and that way when you when you swap down when you go to the ground queue, then you would have you would have those traits already and those special specs already done. Um, it's it's not a simple plug and play solution, but that's that's uh, it's something we've talked about multiple times. But to Andre's point, yeah, he's right. I mean, unless you're necessarily playing elite. Um, and if you're playing elite, you're probably not doing random. Um, you might, but you're probably playing with a with 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 a group of you know you probably ha- you're probably not doing a pug, right? You're working you're working with your fleet or your you know your friends to to pull something like that off. In which case you're 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 choosing to do that, and you can pick the spec you want for that. Um, but for the most part, you can be successful very easily with almost any build in a TFO. It's just the time, maybe the time you spent and and uh, you know your effectiveness, but and maybe you won't get as many extra marks. But, but. Al, you know we, we've spoken before about how sometimes, um, especially for a new player, some of the systems and the UI could be a little overwhelming, right? With a massive list of TFOs or, or um, reputation projects. Uh, Andre, what are your thoughts on that? And, and you know, what is your approach to something like that? Well, w- slowly but surely. Uh, we've been trying to make sure that the that the leveling experience exposes players to to different things at, at different at different times so that it's it, it's less daunting. And this goes back to what I mentioned about sort of the the track in front of moving train. It's it's very difficult, and you could sort of point to any game that's been around, you know, for for even half the time. And you end up reaching a situation where there's so much to do, there's so much content, so many different systems to sort of route you through and expose you to all of them becomes quite a challenge. And so a few of the things we've done, like for one, like I said, it's like by introducing more TFOs through the leveling process, when you reach endgame and the full list, an enormous list opens up, you're not going to feel like... Uh oh! What, what what did I just walk into? It, it should be less intimidating. Um, another thing too is we've um, we've made our uh, our events accessible to players of all levels. Yeah, you know, once you've uh, you know once you're outside of the tutorial, so players will have exposure to TFOs. They'll have exposure to events. Uh, we've definitely added a lot of events to our repertoire, and and we'll continue to do so. So at least when you're trying to learn about crafting and reputations and things like that, it's you will have exposure to the core endgame functionality in terms of like the TFOs and vents and things like that. So you can explore these different uh, systems and subsystems. And, uh, and, and, and in conjunction, we'll be looking um, to continue to improve the, the user experience to, to make sure people understand these things. I think events is a is a is a great example uh, to address your question. Uh, I think it's okay to talk about going forward. We're completely revamping the way we do events, so um, we'll no longer be using the reputation system. We had the reputation system, and we said, okay, we could throw an event in here, and we kind of started building on that. But it was kind of building on a house of cards, and and it just we got bigger and bigger events, and that UI is really wasn't designed for events. So we're tossing that whole system out. 
not the reputation, but the, the, the events tab in there and building an entire new reputation, excuse me, event UI um, for our events because we're really doubling down in events. They're, they're, very, they're very popular. They're, they're, they reward really well. Um, they're, really, they're, they're efficient for us to develop. Um, and um, they, they've had a huge turnout. So we're going to be double down that. You've seen some of that happen already with some of the older events getting cashed out, right? And so as because we're moving away from that, and then soon we'll have a whole new system. It's much cleaner and much and much more straightforward, much more accessible. And so a lot of what you're talking about is taking old stuff that has kind of outgrown itself over the years and taking a fresher look at it. And it's like, okay, how can we trim this down and make a cleaner UI, a cleaner experience for everyone? Um, events is the first one or, or the next one. Um, we'll be doing the same thing. Um, you could say we'll be doing the same thing with patrols. We'll be doing this. Uh, uh, there's, oh, there's, 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 there's plans, not, not soon, but plans to, do, to, to look at how we do reputations in general. Um, maybe one day we'll be able to get the crafting, all of those systems and just kind of and duty officers and stuff like that. We're now we're going really, really far down, uh, down, uh, down the road, but looking at each one of those systems and how can we make them a, a little cleaner, a little more accessible, introduced a little earlier, um, and not so daunting. Right. Well, I want to open the microphone now, uh, take a moment to give you an opportunity to share anything that you might want. I know we still have a panel uh, to do for, on Sunday, but uh, we can talk again perhaps a little after that. Uh, but is there anything you'd like to tell the community that you haven't had the opportunity to yet or perhaps? Well, I, I think for starters, we we had an enormous, you know, it's like the, the response that we've gotten to the, the Age of Discovery expansion that we built has been fabulous. And we're incredibly thankful, you know, for, for the fan loyalty. We're, we're incredibly thankful for all the new players that have come in. Um, we've had fantastic uh support from CBS, from celebrities. Everybody's been a pleasure to work with. And I think it's a testament to the Star Trek IP, to our players, and to be able to sort of bring everything full circle and for the first time ever build a, a Trek expansion in conjunction with a live show and be working with writers from the show and to be working with celebrities who are you know actively on these shows is um, has been really a dream come true. And, and we're excited as we move forward into how we can sort of blend the work we've done there into the, the Stowe universe that's been created and to look forward to lots of new CBS track coming out. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you so very much for talking with me on Priority One Podcast, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your convention. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Captains, we are on the last day here of Star Trek Las Vegas, and we have just wrapped our panel with Anthony Rapp, which was absolutely stunning. I did not intend to make that pun or joke, so I'm proud of myself. What, what pun or joke did you... That we wrapped oh, the panel with oh. rap. Welcome, Al. That was, a, that was a great opening. Thank you. I tried. Thank you. It was I wonderful. <laughs> Joining me to discuss everything that we talked about on the panel is Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, and content designer, Jesse Heinig. Thank you. Jesse, Hello. first of all, congrats on your nuptials. Thank you again. I hope everything went fantastic. I, I, I saw pictures that looked beautiful. It was a wonderful, wonderful ceremony, and I couldn't think of a better place for it to happen. Excellent, excellent. So let's talk a bit about uh, some of the announcements that were made that we didn't get to really dig into for uh, during the panel. 
Um, first off, let's do a, a recap about the mission. Jesse, why don't you talk to us a little bit more about designing a mission with Stamets? Well, we knew coming into this we were going to do an episode with Paul Stamets, but it's in 2410, 25th century, so we can't use the Paul Stamets of the Discovery era without jumping through hoops. So we decided to fall back on the, the hologram idea of, okay, some sort of signature problem has come up, and Paul Stamets is really the only person who could solve it. Therefore, we will get the next best thing to Paul Stamets. We'll make a hologram of Paul Stamets. And using that expert knowledge of his, we will try to solve this problem. The, the particulars of the problem will come up during the mission, but we're dealing with essentially an environmental catastrophe in the mycelial network that's been precipitated inadvertently as a result of the overuse of the spores, the stellavatory, P. stellavatory, um, for a variety of nefarious purposes. We, Al, in, in preparing for the panel, we talked a little bit about uh, the themes, right? The, 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 the title of the episode is... Beneath the Skin. Beneath the Skin. Talk to us a little bit about the, without giving spoilers, of course, about the themes that you're trying to hit on. I would love to talk about it, but these themes were really kind of uh, uh, manifested by Jesse, so I think I'd rather let yeah, him yeah, take yeah, it yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's kind of his baby. I guess I'm taking the mic again. Um, so Beneath the Skin has a double meeting. A lot of Discovery episodes in the show, as well as in our, our game, ha have a very literary roots, and we wanted to, to reflect that as well. So Beneath the Skin is referring both to the problem in the mycelial network, which is underlying the skin of the universe based on what Stamets tells us. It's, it's an entire root system of a fungal life form that lives in subspace underneath the, the universe we see. But it's also talking about the hologram of Stamets and some of the characters that you meet in the story. Uh, in this case, the hologram of Stamets is constructed for a specific purpose, but during the course of the story, he has to become more than just a computer. He has to be more than a program. And awakening to that, which gives us the name of, of our season, raises questions about what does it mean to be a person? What makes a person into a person? How is a person more than just a computer? Are you? Can you be a person if you are not something that's human? Star Trek has already grappled with this, with things like animate rocks, Horta. They're obviously people. With, measure, measure of a man. Yeah, where Data is clearly a person. Or giant sentient gas clouds. They're people, too. And so we're talking there about what lies beneath the skin of a person? What is it that, that gives them that essential personhood? And it is clearly more than just looking like a human or, or behaving in some ways like a human. There's, there's some quality that is more than just the surface. So, so there's, there's more than just Stamets who's going through this in our story. And, and without getting into spoilers, there are other characters that go through a similar transition or, or, or process or whatever the word is, you know, that, that you know, self-reflection of what it means to be a person. So it's, it's, it's not just Anthony. There's, there's, there's a theme going on, and it also reflects back on what happened to Hugh um, as well. Is he still the same person now that he was in a new, now that he's in a new body, right? And so, and Stamets gets to kind of reflect on that and, and understand that. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a theme that goes throughout the whole the whole episode. So in um, in the panel, we and in the press releases, it was announced that the Alachi are making a return. So in Discovery, was May Alachi? Is that what you guys are doing? 
No, no, the the Jasup are are not Alachi, um, and and the the Alachi was kind of a, a I'll go ahead and say a happy accident. Um, so if any if 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 your viewers don't remember the Alachi, um, the Alachi are originally from Enterprise. So in in Enterprise, Silent Enemy, there's these creatures that um, were referred to as shroomies, like. I think by some, I think the writers in a script, the writers call them shroomies because they are mushroom people, right? They're fungal people of some sort. And they're terrible, terrible, terrifying uh, things that steal you in the night. And we, um, we ran with that in, um, in uh, uh, Delta Rising. Or, excuse me, um, Legacy, of, Legacy, of Romulus. Legacy of Romulus. Um, as uh, the super soldiers, stormtroopers of the Iconians. Okay, and the Alachi are these mushroom, mushroom, shroomy people that are steal people and then implant their spores in these in these people and and grow. That's how they reproduce. Right. It's this horrific way. You find people where these spores have just burst out of their bodies and new Alachi are born. So it sounds terrifying. Um, as we built the Alachi, um, we gave their ships a teleportation ability. And while we were building Awakening, we said we, we want we want another villain. We don't want it to just be more Klingons because we've done a lot of fighting a lot of Klingons for a while. He says, what, how, what, what can we bring into this story? And I have no idea remember who suggested it or where it came from, but um, says, wow, you know, the Alachis are mushroom. They're, they're, they're mycelial-based. Their ships teleport. What if the Alachi have a connection to the mycelial network? What if they uh, are they from there? Do they live there? Do they do they you know do or do they uh, um, just take advantage of it? And maybe their teleportation has always been uh, you know spore jumping. So so we've updated the effect on the Alachi. So now they actually they, they, the same power they had before, but now it looks like spore jumping. And we've just kind of retconned it in to say yeah this is this is they have a connection here and they'll be part of this story and, and the story going forward as well. And a lot of people haven't necessarily had a chance to fight the Alachi outside of TFOs or Red Alerts, um, unless you are a Romulan character. So I think they're underutilized, and they're, they actually have really, really cool mechanics, both in ground and space. So, um, so yeah, I, I, so we a happy kind of, accident. Happy accident. So this is a great opportunity. I'll just call it an opportunity. And, and so we've kind of polished them up a bit, and... And uh, I think that that's, that's a, it really adds to the story really well. Um, and, it, and it actually is going to add to the gameplay really well. So, Jesse, you are a story creator, right? You take what's on the page and then you translate that to become the playable experience. Since involving Discovery and being side-by-side side with a live-action show currently in production and in, in, uh, and release, how has that changed your approach to game design and storytelling? Well, having a live show, there's obviously the pitfalls of we can't step on certain toes. We have to be cautious about what kind of content we use and what we talk about. Um, and also Discovery itself, season one, had a very, very narratively tight story unlike earlier star trek series which were individual episodes with a lot of loose ends maybe we go to this planet this week and we never see it again and then we can grab onto that and write a new story about it in discovery it had a, a really tight self-contained story 
So that meant that looking for entry points into discovery stories involves a lot of of sort of peeking around those edges and those corners. The to crew find never things. leaves the ship, so it's not like someone went off on holiday and what happened on there. They're, they're always there, so it's like we can't right. just grab someone out in the middle of their story. Right, right. So, so finding those entry points to tell interesting discovery stories is one of the, the real challenges now. Um, but discovery, it's new and it's relevant. Um, it's brought a lot of people to the franchise who've uh, are a new generation who've never seen Star Trek before. And so they're experiencing it for the first time, and we want to respect that experience as they come into the game. And so there are things that get mentioned uh, or things that obviously raise questions, and those are the places that we get to really build our stories. So that interestingly has meant that our our recent story arcs have been more character-driven. Instead of, we're going to go to this strange planet, or we're going to explore this funny technology, they've been about, this is about uh, Captain Killy, the Mirror Universe version of Tilly that we've heard about, but don't really know too much about her. Well, well, let's explore that character. Who is she? What does she do? How how does she operate? And, uh, and of course, our story with uh, Ellen Landry, uh, played by Rekha Sharma, doing an amazing job uh, as that character, because that all came about because we were looking at the first season of Discovery and her character, of course, doesn't survive uh, of very many episodes. Um, but when we first meet her, she's uh, taking custody of Michael Burnham and bringing her to Discovery. And she's brusque and she's abrasive and she's a little bit cruel. And she's also um, she's not cautious around the tardigrade. That's extremely dangerous. She's she's reckless. But she's a commander and a first officer. How does someone with those personality traits also be a commander and a first officer of a, a Federation starship? What happened to her? And so that gave us a story hook to develop. What happened that caused Landry to become the person we saw? And so that gave us the, the roots of the story where we got to see Landry at her best and the of series of events that broke her down until we see this person who, in Discovery has nothing left to live for, who has a death wish, and that's why she's reckless, who's lost everything she cares about, and that's why she pushes people away. And the only person that's left in her life that she has any connection to is Gabriel Lorca, but she doesn't know that it's the Terran version. So, so I'll, I'll just jump in real quick on that. So one of the because of the challenges we've had here, with, the, with a few exceptions like Tilly in the tutorial and Landry, like, like uh, um, Jesse just explained, you know, our game primarily takes place in 2410, and we and and we're kind of trying to putting a bow a little bit on on Age of Discovery, and we want to get back to 2410. Um, how do we get how do we get Discovery content and characters there? So we're keep trying to find clever ways to get them there, right? So we had we had Killy jump forward in time across universes, and so now she's there, right? We have Jula who comes forward because of the mycelial weapon, and you know, as a, as our as 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 an antagonist, um, and now we've got oh, how we get how we get Stamets. So we can do some more time travel. It's like no, okay, we use a hologram. So so how what other ways can we bring characters? And we have a few things that we have planned that I don't want to talk about. But but uh, it's it's we're trying to be try, trying to be really clever without being too cliche and too in, or derivative or just or repetitive. Like it's another time travel thing or whatever. So um, I think we've got about three more tricks up our sleeve <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so, um, but it's been fun to try to figure that out. But what about the execution, right? What about, you know, right now we're involving 
characters that people perhaps just watched on CBS All Access, has your method by which you create a mission and game, the executables, the actionables, changed in any way, shape, or form in order to try to perhaps match the cinematic scope of Discovery or... Well, the, the things that I do as a mission designer haven't changed. The technology of our engine is still the same. The, the areas where it has changed is our, our animator, Weston, has been making these much more cinematic, much more emotive scenes to help carry those stories. Um, and our writer, Paul, has had to be much more on the ball in terms of communicating with CBS about how our story arcs are going to interact with theirs and how they're going to develop and what pieces of the show we can lean on and use. Uh, it means that uh, both of them have really had to up their game uh, so that we can deliver that, that higher tier of content. I mean, Discovery itself is a new, like highly polished, very cinematic uh, execution of Star Trek. And so being able to live up to those higher standards has really pushed a lot of the team to develop their skills to match that. So in terms of gameplay, um, while the technology of what I do is the same, I can place creatures on a map, I can build mission puzzles and logic and things using all of the same sorts of tools, making those stories really come alive has, has basically just caused the team to sort of raise their own bar. I think you hit it on the last question, last comment that you had that we're just far more character focused. Um, and, and that our missions are, you know, we always try to, you know, over, over the years, it's probably about Legacy and Romulus have been trying to make things character focused. And we've just gotten better at it, I just think. You know, we, we, we've always tried to bring char uh, actors in and have their characters do something that was, that was important or meaningful for them. Um, and I think we did it really well with Harry Kim, uh, for instance, and with Michael Dorn when he, when he encounters the Solonet, Harry Kim when he encounters, well, himself as a Kabali. Um, and so things that are personal to them. But so we're getting we're digging in deeper and deeper into that and recognizing that the missions were before we were trying to make missions really be the place where you can level up and do action. You can still level up and there's still action. Um, but now realizing that's really a better place for character development, for story, for narrative. That's where playing on the ground is more meaningful and powerful because you're in the face of the other characters are with you and you're talking with them and we have the cutscenes to kind of to discover that narrative and and then we move to tfos for where you just get to blow crap up right and it's like that's where the action is that's where the, you know that's uh, and and that's where you repeat and just keep doing that it's fun but the episodes are really about this character development and and now we're going to touch on that a little bit with patrols kind of uh, in in the middle as far as continuing the narrative but in a backstory way like our old patrols were more of a um we're we're trying to do mini stories i don't want to do it that way they're they're going to support the backstory but still be action. But the, but the episodes are are truly a character development opportunity. Let's talk a little bit more about the patrols. So that is, in fact, a new uh, system. Not system, but necessarily a, a new feature coming into Star Trek Online. How does it compare to the patrols from Legacy of Romulus, for instance? Well, we've built a new interface for the patrol system. Previously, to do patrols, you would have to go to a specific area of space and then say, I'm going to enter this system and do the patrol there. And this meant there's a lot of overhead on the player. Which patrol do I want to do? Where is it located? Do I have to transorp to another quadrant? Oh, I went into the wrong patrol. Am I going to quit out and go to a different one? And so there was a lot of hassle. So we're building an interface to streamline that entire experience. 
so that you can just look up a list of patrols, see, oh, this is the one that, that had that really fun gameplay I like. This is the one that's really good for fighting against this particular enemy that I think is fun. And then just launch straight into that patrol, whether by yourself or with a team. And then the patrols give us a, a sort of bite-sized piece of content. TFOs are really built to be like a five-person or more experience that requires some level of coordination and that you know you have to to be kind of on the ball with the mechanics of what's going on on the TFO and then they're really made for repeatable play to gain your end game rewards from reputations but these patrols are designed to be like you know I'm just playing for 10 minutes and it's just by myself and I'm just going to play something short and sweet and just enjoy that with the new patrols comparing them to legacy of romulus we've given them um interesting mechanics every patrol has its own little twist something that you have to learn in order to figure out how to how to succeed in that patrol um, and then you can replay it knowing how that mechanic works and do better next time at it um, and they also develop the backstory like al was saying so in the new uh patrols coming with awakenings you're working with stamets who's directing you to these patrol locations because they're tied into what's happening in the story and and one of our goals is to look at our older patrols and then sort of bring them into this system over time as we can revisit them. What, so TFOs offer marks for reputation gear as well as um, R&D packs and, and EC. What will the reward be, what will the rewards be for the patrols? Okay, so before I answer that, I'll, I'll add on a little bit what, what Jesse had to say and I'll kind of lead right into your answer there. So when we decided, you know, what we wanted to do next and we said, can we do patrols? And we wanted to. We looked back at how we did patrols in the past, and and realized that we had kind of limited success with them. Um, and I said, okay, why what why were they not as successful as we hoped? And what what did people like and didn't like about it? So I played every single one of the patrols. That took a long time. Other people played some patrols, and I realized that um, although. Uh, what they ended up being, and I'll speak more about the Delta patrols in particular, they were like mini episodes. And and we know that episodes don't really have high replayability. And I'm not afraid to say that. They they because they're they're narrative they're narrative based. You hear the story, you move around, you click a thing, you get it some information. Um, you don't get a lot of XP. Um and I don't find that really as a repeatable piece of content. They're fun to play once and get the thing and get the gist of it and 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 then I'm kind of done. But everyone kept playing Argala, right? Everyone plays Argala over and over and over again. It's like really highly played. Still not easy to get to. If you know about it, you play it a lot, right? And a lot of people play it for mastery, right? It's a lot of quick, easy shooting in there. So we kind of took that, I won't say as a template, but just kind of our inspiration or, you know, or a, um, a role model, I might say. And so we took the, the narrative story clicky things uh, out of patrols and they said, let's instead of making it like a mini episode, we made it like a mini TFO that one person can play, which was the intent of patrols before because people say, oh, I don't want to I don't always want to play with other players. Um, so we made patrols, but we, we, we missed the mark, I think. So now I think we hit the mark. Um, people have been internally. We've been loving it. So there are many there are many TFOs. They're about eight minutes. Um, they they high action. Lots of XP, lots of kills. Everything has a 2x XP on it. So you get double XP from all patrols. So And that counts for your ship mastery. So that's and that's for your ship mastery. So this is a great place to grind ship mastery. Okay. Um uh, there's also I know there's dilithium, and I think there's a choice of marks. 
Yes. Um, and I can't remember things, but it's high, but it's largely an XP place you can go for get right. XP. Predominantly, they are going to be good for getting ship mastery because you'll do space combat and get double XP from all of the stuff you fight, including toward your ship mastery. You get a some amount of dilithium, other general numeric like rewards, expertise and skill points, uh, and a choice of marks. Our goal in the far future is if patrols go well and people like them and we can, can keep making them to have patrols for all the different kinds of marks that you might get for now since we're launching with a, a limited palette of patrols we're just going to give you a choice of marks so you, you can play patrols and advance any of your reps through it um as an alternative to doing tfos if you're like i don't want to play in a group with five players or that the tfo that's necessary to do these marks is is just too difficult for me this is an alternate way that you can do that i think there's also a patrol daily i think we talked about that um, goes with the endeavor um there are endeavors being built to support patrols um so like there's a tfo daily there's there, there's a, a special bonus that the first patrol you play each day you right. get extra rewards and, from and i think the key is that patrols are they're efficient. They're really efficient at rewards. So, so you, there's somewhere there's a target that we hit is somewhere between like five and eight minutes, and so your skill will vary. Um, but as you get better at them, you can probably get through them in five minutes. But they're really efficient at rewards. Um, so they're really fast, and you just can keep playing them all, and they're really exciting. Um, so uh, I, I think we're, we're we're all really proud and really happy with the way they turned out. Um, we had. Uh, hoped on updating old Delta patrols. I don't know if we're going to get through them, but we're going to try to update old patrols to bring them up to the standard of the new ones. Um, we're not going to... With the release, or you're just saying over time? It won't take long, but I don't know if we're going to have enough time to update them all. Well, definitely not all of them, but we're going to see if we can update some of them for the release. If not, they'll come out right afterwards. So they'll still be in there, but just existing the way they used to. And then we'll convert them over with the new rewards, new action... And new and put them into the interface. So right now it's just going to be the five, possibly, uh, possibly maybe up to five delta, but I'm going to call it a long shot at this point. And then we'll do the other ones. We'll do maybe we'll do you know the the yeah. we'll add we'll update so, the Romulan ones and and yeah maybe a couple of the old Federation yeah. ones and and then but make some new stuff. But the other thing about them too is not only that they're efficient to play, they're efficient for us to build because the hardest thing for us to build is the narrative story stuff, right? The cutscenes, the their story, the character development. Um, it takes us six to nine weeks to build an episode, right? And 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 that's but that's just for design. Then there's the animator and the environment artist. Okay, for we can do turn a patrol around in like in like six days from design and basically almost no support from anybody else. So they're really efficient for us to build. So if it, we're hoping that you know if if people you know take to them. And if they don't, we'll see what's what's different. We'll change it. Then we can really start cranking out a lot of these. Two questions. One, patrols are, are you looking at space and ground? Um, and then number two is, what percentage reward by comparison to TFOs? Uh, we're starting with space patrols. Um, they're more straightforward. And also, if you're going to get double XP in Starship Mastery, it has to be a space right. patrol. Um, but we have looked at ground patrols, and, and we've had to really go far back to find other ground patrols that we had in the game and realize, you know, they're they're from early launch level content. Um, and and so it will take a lot of work to bring that up to the, the standards of quality we want. But we're already investigating getting some uh, of those into the game. I would say that a, a patrol 
will offer you about a quarter to a third of the the numeric rewards that you would get from completing a TFO, um, which is not terrible considering if you can do a patrol in five minutes and you could do a TFO in 15, that seems maybe about right. And it means that there's still reasons for people to play TFOs. We don't want to make those obsolete and have everyone just do patrols and nothing else. Um, you will still want to play TFOs. You can still get your random box reward from playing TFOs as, as a bonus. Um, this is just something else you can do, and you can do it quickly and do it by yourself. If you just want to play for five minutes and don't want to worry about anything else, play a patrol. If you want to play as much stuff as you can can and get all of your rewards you know, as, uh, maxed out in a day, play a patrol, play a TFO, play an episode. So we just want to have lots of different ways for people to enjoy that content. And patrols are also in the mission journal, by the way. So you, when you play the episode, when you play Stamets' episode Beneath the Skin, we take you, we, the, 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 the journal takes you to the next patrol, the next patrol. So to, to introduce it, so everyone can at least play it through as a mission. And then, and then, and then, it, then you have, then you can just play it, ran, you know, not randomly, but you can just play it directly through the through the interface. So it's still it's still part of the kind of journal process. So in the past, in order to earn, for instance, an event reward, um, players would have to replay the mission, right? The episode mission. Are you thinking that patrols might be able to replace that need, so that instead of having to replay the the episodic narrative story mission? that these patrols would, you know, on a daily basis, reward what the mission was going to reward or what the weekly playthrough was going to be? Are you talking about the the, every, the weekly, like, the featured featured episode yes, replay? Yes, yes, yes. I think we, we've, we've moved away from the featured episode uh, um, mechanic that, uh, and, and moved more to our event system that we have. Um, I mean, they, basically, that was you play that, and every week come back, and another piece of gear, another piece of gear. So we kind of rolled all that into our event, where you know, two two weeks you play, and then you get a really cool reward. Um, when we release season eighteen, we've got the mycelia event is going to be a little bit different than. And what, first of all, we will be debuting our new UI, so we're moving the entire thing out of the reputation UI and have a brand new custom piece of UI just for events. And for for this event, the mycelia event will be four weeks, I think. Um, and you can either play the TFO, you can play the mission, or you can play any of the patrols, and you can play a certain amount of them. You can earn like 40 points a day or something like that. And I think maybe you get 20 points from the, for 30 from the episode, 20 from the TFO, 10 from each patrol. I don't remember the numbers. Um, and earn that much. And so you can play this, you just keep playing the episode over and over again if you'd like, but the TFO over and over again if you like, or just play a whole bunch of patrols you like. So people can pick and choose instead of just like, I have to just do a TFO all the time, or I have to do this episode all the time. Whichever style you want, and then you do that for X number of days, and then you will earn the uh, Alachi ship as your reward for, for this one. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Before we do, I have one last question for you. Star Trek Online Legends. Oh, you, you saw that. I did. I don't know what that was about. Do we have to kill him that? Now? We have to kill him now. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody leaves the convention alive. <laughs> Star Trek Legends. What's the question? What's it about? What did you see? I saw... Because the viewers didn't see. That's right. That's what right. What did you if, see? What I saw was the jellyfish. There was a jellyfish. Okay. The, then that's the ship from the Kelvin timeline that sends Spock into the Kelvin timeline. Uh, and then we saw it ended with a beautiful hero shot of all the Enterprises, except for the J. It actually wasn't just all Enterprises. Oh, okay. It was every hero ship from every series. Ah. So Defiant was there. Voyager was there. Discovery was there. Okay. Um, 
and 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 the the Kelvin uh, Kelvin uh, Enterprise, of course, TOS Enterprise, Enterprise D, and and Enterprise uh, E and Odyssey. So so all the hero ships right were there plus the jellyfish. And then it said Star Trek Legends, right? Is so our 10th anniversary is coming ah. up. So there was a little, I will not say much more than this is a, it was a little stinger teaser. We did this, like, I think we did this last well, a couple years ago when we just kind of teased uh, 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 Victory's Life at the end of right. our one panel. So this is, we mostly want to just kind of focus on Awakening for now, but we also want to acknowledge that we've got big plans for the 10th anniversary and it's called Star Trek Online Legends. Well, I want to thank you, Al. Thank you, Jesse, for chatting with me post-panel and talking more about what players can expect with the wrap-up to Age of Discovery with Paul Stamets. And we're so very much looking forward to the mission and all that you create around that story content and the new patrols. Thank you so very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. This is my uh, first interview with Jesse ever, and it was a joy. We should do more of these together. Okay. Captains, as we continue our coverage of Star Trek Online News, we are here at the Roddenberry Monolith chatting with lead UI and ship artist Thomas Maroney. Hello. And community manager Mike Fadum. Hello. Thank you, gentlemen, for chatting with me this afternoon. We have wrapped the panel with yeah, Anthony, Anthony Rapp. Wrapped the panel. That's right. <laughs> Anthony wrapped the panel. <laughs> and I want to talk uh, a little bit of follow-up stuff with you guys. Sure. Um, first and foremost, I want to talk about the UI. My understanding is that with the new patrols, there is a UI revamp happening. Can you tell us a little bit about the UI for the patrols? Yeah, so in my role as lead UI artist, um, I'm generally a, a supervisor of our UI, our actual UI artist, uh, Joe uh, Giannoulis, I think is how you pronounce her last name. But um, uh, she's done a lot of great work on this UI. It's a brand new UI. It's, a, it's basically, essentially, we've taken all these new patrols put them into a new tab on the TFO window. And um, I forget exactly what all the tabs are called, but you'll I see. I believe it actually just says patrols. It says now. patrols. Okay, great. And then you, you click there. You see a list of all the patrols that uh, you can do, and you just click a button that says start patrol. And then it transwarps you, you to the patrol, and uh, you start playing. And when you leave the patrol, it transwarps you back to where you started, right? Yeah, if it was so a it's, static so it's not map, like you leave. Yeah, so it's not like you leave outside of... Uh, you end up outside of uh, Argala when you're done with the Argala patrol, for example. Right, right. And so uh, whether or not that's one that actually gets right. added, Sorry, I that don't was know. A, me coming up Just with an name. example. But there will be, I think there will be some existing patrols that get folded into this UI. Yes. The, the feature will have uh, mycelial patrols that are new to uh, Awakening, but then there will also be a few older ones that uh, you can access with it, too. Now, I, I do want to bring something up that uh, seemed to have affected players these last few weeks. Um, there was a bit of a lag problem, my understanding, right? Can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about that? I, I could have sworn I saw a post that it had something to do with the UI. Or, no, or, well, it wasn't. I don't think it was a UI thing. So we ended up releasing a whole squad of fixes that, that fixed it. Um, so I can't point to any one particular thing. The last time this happened, I think it was there was an item in the game that was calling itself over and over or something like that. Um, in this particular instance, I think there was um, a couple of things that were stacking together. And so our programmer, Keith, um, found them all and fixed them. Um, and that's now the game is running much smoother. Although 
please continue to tell me on Twitter if you're having a bad experience uh, with the game because we want to continue trying to fix it and making sure also, everybody has the smoothest gameplay possible. Yeah, I also know there was some account server issues this weekend that yep. uh, everybody at Perfect World, that's all on their, their end, and they're working really hard to, to yeah. fix that stuff too. Now, while we're on the topic of UI, you know, we're, we are coming up on 10 years, yep. right? As you look at the game now, do you consider, do you look at what's existing and think about perhaps what it could be, what ways to have improving it. Is there a roadmap for UI with Star Trek Online? Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. So uh, Joe is an extremely talented and experienced uh, uh, UI artist. She's worked on other MMO studios. Having her come to work on Star Trek Online was actually a huge get for the game. One of the first things she did was uh, revamp character creation uh, on PC um, to have a more simple flow. like. We broke, instead of being three screens, we broke it up in several different screens, but you only had to make one choice at a time. And, and it's, it's an absolutely beautiful rework that she did. Yeah, yeah, and it, it looks a lot better. And she she was also the one who executed uh, random cues, that UI. Um, and so uh, Joe's really talented, and she is really passionate about looking at uh, older UIs and, it, you know, if they just need a small tweak, making that tweak, if they need to be fully redesigned, if they're older systems, like, for rep, uh, you know, reputations, for example, um, where uh, I don't know how much we've talked about it. There's another big system that will be uh, with season uh, with um, Awakening that actually has a big whole new UI that's going to streamline um, event play quite a bit, um, and uh, that's a huge uh, anchor for the Mycelium event. And so, basically, uh, without saying too much about that, you know, it's it's the way that you get event rewards now. Uh, there's too many steps to take between you've played a t uh, feature TFO and you slot it for a reward, and we want to make it so it's a streamlined process, like the rewards were for the um, and are uh, for the um, uh, free tier six ship event that we're doing with uh, feature TFOs right now on PC, uh, where you just play the TFO and you automatically get the credit. Um, we're trying to make that a little bit of a wider thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's. Uh, you know, we're, we're starting with the kind of at the top, the wi things that have the widest impact for gameplay. So event rewards are a huge deal for us as an MMO where we want people to have an appointment to come and play every day. Um, character creation for new players obviously is really important. So we're starting with those things and then sort of like kind of fight, you know, uh, funneling down into into more specific things that we can we can tackle. You mentioned console, so I've mm -hmm. got to ask. Mm -hmm. Any plans on migrating even more UI or UI elements from console over to PC? Uh, well, no official plans. I mean, it's it's a real tricky. Uh, I love the way the console UI looks, and it's a lot cleaner. It's a lot more uh, streamlined. It looks a lot more like Elkars. But there are there's also things that a lot of experienced MMO players would be giving up if we just took that UI and ported it over to PC. If we did something like that, I think you would see more like we might take the inventory window and sort of make it look a little more like the console inventory window, but it would still be a floating window. It wouldn't be a full screen UI. But but that's, you know, that's that would just be we wouldn't just say, oh, we're going to make it look like console. We would say, what's the best way to approach this if we if we do redo it? And it might end up borrowing elements from console, but it might also just be completely new as well with Working alongside a living Star Trek show, it gives you access to ships, ships, and ships. Mm -hmm. How different is that approach now? And, you know, for instance, now you've got the IDW. We talked a little bit about this on the comic book. What do you first consider with the team as you develop a new ship? 
Yeah. Uh, so we're looking, you know, we, we, we've been trying to plan out ships earlier and earlier. Um, we've, we've spun up a really great relationship with Tobias Richter, a renowned Star Trek uh, CG artist. And he's done a lot of ships for us and will continue to do so in the future. But to do that, you need a lot more lead time than just doing them in-house. Um, so we start early thinking about, you know, uh, this six months from now, these are all the ships we're going to release. And so with Discovery, that was awesome because we had a big list of ships that we had to add to the game. So just like, okay, we're going to yeah, do everything this one. that was in Battle of the Binary Stars was like, oh, good. We got like 200, yeah. not, not 200, but you know what I mean? Like 20 new ships. Yeah. Like uh, between Klingons and yeah, it was it was a lot. Right. So we, so we started there and then we, we decided since they're 23rd century ships in Discovery that we wanted to do our own uh, designs of those ships, too, so that you had something to customize them with. And you could, you know, if you want to be really immersed in Star Trek online canon of the 25th century, you could get. You still got a new ship that fit in that version of the game, but if you really loved the Discovery version, you could use that as well. And so it was all about marrying the two visual styles of Discovery, the John Eves uh, square nacelles and stuff, and uh, and then uh, marrying that with our STO aesthetic. Let me ask you about a announcement with respect to Eagle Moss mm -hmm. that Star Trek Online is doing. Can you talk to us about, about that? Yeah, um, so we uh, I got to hop on their panel with them uh, the other day and just uh, basically announced that we're doing an actual line of Eagle Moss ships. It will be a subscription. There will be many ships, not just one or two more. Um, and uh, uh, they'll be the same size as the Enterprise F model, the smaller size uh, ship models that usually retail. The current ones retail for 20 bucks. I assume... The STO ones will too, but I don't know. Um, I'll be doing. Uh, we'll be doing magazines for those. I'll be doing that. I'm. I'm excited about that, and I'll be tapping in probably Mike and Jesse and Paul, some other people to write content for those. Um, but I want to add a lot more ship lore that we don't get from the game to those ships about like here's why it was built and you know here's um, everything it can do and some of the more crunchy stats and stuff. That, you know, there's no real avenue in the game to read that, but I know there's a hunger for it. So, so there was a um, uh, a couple of months ago when we were doing one of our ship sea store ship bundle releases, we had a uh, uh, need for a blog teasing the ship, and I said, okay, well, we'll need to have a story blog written. Uh, and Thomas kind of wandered over to the conversation and was like. You know, yeah, that's interesting. We could do this and this and this. And I was like, okay, well, you don't have a lot of time. You know, maybe I'll write that for you. And Thomas was like, no, I want to write it. Let me do this. <laughs> so now that we've got the panel behind us and we're looking towards the new release, what are you most excited for players to participate in? Oh, man. Uh, I'm really excited about the... Um, I think it's been really cool to see the mycelial network come together, not just as an environment, but as an ecosystem. Like, a, you know, if you were watching closely on the, the pan they did of the environment, there were, like, tardigrades in there. Right, right, and right. And Alachi soldiers and stuff. And so they're creating this world that is actually lived in. And uh, and obviously the the... You know, there are other aliens and things that will be in there. But, like, exploring that, I think, will feel very Star Trek. Like, going to this place you haven't been before. Um, and, and, and but but just seeing it beyond just, I'm going to go here and shoot some guys. It's like, oh, no, there's, it's lived in. And there, you know, there are things there. Kind of like a new Romulus, you know, that, that feeling of, like, 
oh, there are these creatures and there's uh, what's that over there? And you go over and you look at, you know, check it out. And speaking of new aliens in the mycelial network, uh, we're revisiting the Alachi. Are you excited to build some Alachi ships? Yeah, we're taking a, an Alachi ship that's been around. Uh, we actually, it's already done. Um, players, but it uh, players hadn't had access to it yet, and so we we uh, added more detail, uh, upgraded the material on it a little bit, and then that will be um, something that uh, players will be able to fly. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, I actually, all of, uh, I think the Alachi critters and ships have held up pretty well, um, and then we have, of course have the T6 versions. Um, they kicked the, our butt on the shuttle event oh, the other yeah. day. We tried it. We were nice. doing this. Oh, yeah. You know, interestingly enough, just a few weeks ago, we did a uh, TFO when we were having the discussion and we jumped in. Anthony had never played the shuttle oh, TFO okay. yeah. where you battle the Alachi on the shoreline yeah. in your shuttle on a planet. Yeah. So, yeah, they're still formidable. They are certainly formidable. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and the ship, um, I mean, I was, uh, we showed a little tiny tease of the Alachi ship you'll be getting at the panel, a really super quick blinking you'll miss it thing. But the, uh, uh, you know, as I was flying around taking pictures of it, yeah, I honestly thought it was a brand new ship until I found out it was something that had been in the game for a while. It's a really cool design. Nice. Yeah, and it's it's actually, um, it's kind of neat because the walker, the Alachi walkers that, you know, that's uh, apparently, I didn't realize this until we started working on it, that's actually the Lachi frigate like it lands and like legs like come out you know and and so um that was just a cool thing because you know you've seen those walker the, the walker and the missions and stuff when you're flying around in space fighting the Alachi, the frigates that you fight are are those walkers just in space configuration well gentlemen i want to thank you for joining us for this post panel conversation uh is there anything that we did not cover that you'd like to uh spotlight before we let you go um, I'm just, uh, you know, the post panel uh, teaser. Um, I don't know if you've described that to your listeners or if they'll have been Legends, able to see. yes, yes. Yeah, STL Legends. I'm super excited about that, what yeah. it's going to mean for ships. So that's What we specifically teased in the panel, without saying too much, has been Thomas's baby, and he's yeah. very proud of it. I've been working really hard to make sure that everybody who's involved has time to work on it. You know, it's something that's coming out for the anniversary. <laughs> But we're starting it now because there'll be that much work to do for wow, it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So Fascinating. It's going to be actually, 10 years. Hilarious no thing about Legends. Um, we had the meet and greet earlier today. And at the meet and greet, a lot of people are like, oh, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? One person came up to us and said, can you do this thing? And it was the thing we're doing for the anniversary. Yeah. And I had a moment of, <laughs> how did you know? Oh, they don't know. Play it cool. Play it cool. Mike. <laughs> It's going to be fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you so very much for chatting with me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having us, um, and thank you for doing such a great job with the panel. I, yeah, I appreciate it. it. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to do it, and uh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled when I get the opportunity. So thank you so very much. We'll talk to you in the coming weeks as more information comes out, I'm sure. Sounds great. You're yeah. never strangers to Priority One Podcast. Awesome. You're always welcome. Awesome. Thank you so Excellent. much. Excellent. Thanks. Well, that wraps up episode 424 of Priority One a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, The Trek Files, daily Star Trek news, and the newly added Shabam, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Now don't forget, Captains, we expect to hear from you. So leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or as you've been doing throughout our convention coverage, be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. 
And of course, before we go, we must again thank our patrons for their ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can rest assured that as a patron, we got you some goodies here at STLV. So stay tuned for those announcements. The trip would not have been possible without our partnership with GamePrint. We are indeed grateful for this partnership, and we hope that you'll take advantage of saving 20% off of your order of your custom Starship by using coupon code PRIORITY20 at checkout over at GamePrint.net. Thanks to our audio editors, including William Hardy, Brandon Parker, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the weekly production of this show. And, of course, for being my right hand during this year's convention. Without him, there is no way I would have walked out of here in one piece. Thanks to our community manager, Shane Hoover. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, who also was a part of this STLV Away team and offered support throughout the week. Thank you to Tony Hunter, Legacy Tony, for working alongside me during interviews and panel preparation. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, our friends, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network